Donald, I wanted to take just a minute to uh, recap a little bit of where we've been so far in this series. Now, there's a lot of uh, new faces, a lot of family and friends here visiting with us this morning. So I want to make sure y'all are caught up to speed as we jump into the fourth week of our Advent series. So in week one of our series, we really started with a big picture. We looked at Psalm chapter 13, and we talked about how all of Israel had been waiting for centuries on a Messiah. Right? We talked about how we, just like them, so often miss the fact that God is both with us and working in our waiting. So that was week one. And then in week two, Pastor Josiah came and he continued that thread. And we talked about the stories of Simeon and Anna, right? these two old saints that, that showed us, helped us understand that even in the midst of seasons of, of suffering, that God is faithful. That he is always working, he's always faithful in our lives, but sometimes it's just a slow bloom. I love that line. I've been just meditating on that line over this season, that life is sometimes just a slow bloom. And then last week, we looked at the life of Joseph, right? Jesus' earthly father, and we learned together what, what God is able to do with hearts that are simply willing to say yes to his plan for their life. That's a little bit about where we've been throughout this series. And, and with each week, really, our goal has been to help you to see this Christmas story and these seasons of waiting from a different perspective. Because we want you to see that despite what things may look like on the surface, that God is with you, that he is working, and that family, your waiting is never wasted. I believe, I, I know you're going to see that today in a powerful way as we look at the life and the example of Jesus' mother, Mary. But before we dive into that story, before we go any further, would you just pause for a moment of prayer with me? Father, we are so grateful to be gathered here before you this morning. Lord, what a joyful day this is. Thank you for your faithfulness to us as your children. Thank, for, thank you for your, your faithfulness to us as your church over this past year, Lord. I pray that you would use this time. Would you draw us closer to you through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit? I ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about what it looks like to wait, haven't we? We've read some really great stories, seen some really incredible examples of what God can do with a, a, a heart that is simply willing to wait. But with all this talk about waiting, we've really yet to talk about why it's so challenging for us to wait. Right, why we so often find ourselves getting impatient, getting frustrated, maybe even getting angry when we have to wait. And I think before we dive into this morning's story and before we dive into scripture, we got to get to the bottom of that. Okay, so why is it that that waiting is so challenging for us? I think it's actually really quite simple. It's because when we find ourselves in the waiting, we are confronted with our lack of control. We are confronted with our lack of control, just how little of our lives that we're actually able to direct. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter if we're talking about like waiting at a doctor's office, which can be frustrating, right? Or if we're talking about waiting to, to hear back about a new job, which can take forever. Or if we're talking about waiting on maybe a college acceptance letter. Or even waiting on a wayward family member to come home. It doesn't really matter the magnitude of what we're waiting for. Because just that simple act of waiting, it's a powerful and oftentimes a, a painful reminder of the fact that despite our best efforts, we really don't have that much control over our circumstances. And try as we might to control the narrative of our lives, we are not the authors of our own story. 
But what I'm here to tell you this morning, family, is that is actually good news. It is good news that we have little control over our lives. Because when you wake up to this reality, what you discover is that your greatest strength is not found in your power to control your life. Your greatest strength is actually in your power to surrender it. Are you with me on this, church family? Greatest power, the greatest strength you have is in your power to surrender your life. Right? The greatest freedom you can experience is actually found when you lose control and when you let go so that God can direct your path. So my hope and my prayer for this morning is that you would come to find that losing control is actually a good thing. Losing control is a good thing because it puts, puts God at the center of your life. It allows him to be the one who's writing your story. And there may be no better picture of this in all of scripture, no better example of surrender outside of Jesus than the one we're gonna look at this morning. So if you brought your Bibles or your Bible apps, I encourage you to open those up with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is where we find the Christmas story told from the perspective of Mary. And Mary, as you might know, she is about to receive a message that a whole nation has been waiting on for centuries. It's a message that's going to make her lose control in the best way possible. So would you join me in Luke chapter 1? We're going to begin with verse 26. Luke tells us that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I just want to pause right there because I need you to understand the magnitude of this situation. There's a couple of things that you need to know. First is that this little town that Gabriel shows up to, it's a, it's a teeny tiny town. Okay, scholars say that Nazareth at the time was probably around 20 acres in total. Just to give you a little perspective, the, the parking lot of Del Diamond across the way, it's about 60 acres. Okay, so that should give you an idea of just how small Nazareth was, just how meaningless it really was in the grand scheme of things. Okay, there were, there were no major uh, cities that it was connected to by road. It just sort of sat out there, kind of like some of these, you know, cities out in the middle of nowhere in Texas, right? There was no significance to Nazareth. Maybe it had a, a population of a few hundred people. The second thing you need to know is that this girl that this angel shows up to speak to, Mary, she's about 14 or 15 years old. Okay, so we're talking about a teenage girl from a backwoods town. And I know we get this image in our heads, right, of this... Uh, this, this pristine young woman, right? You see the oil paintings in the museums. You see the, the stained glass on the cathedrals. But if we're really being honest with ourselves, Mary's probably a little rough around the edges, okay? Like she may have been full of grace without a full set of teeth. Are y'all following me here? I'm not, not trying to be disrespectful, but like this is just what the context tells us. All right, Lord, forgive me for that one. Okay. The point is, Mary's probably the last person in the last place you'd expect God to show up and speak to, which probably explains her response. Look at verse 29. Luke tells us she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. If you're like me, you read this and be like, why is she troubled? Right, you've got an angel showing up telling you like good things are not there to like, you know, take you away or to, to, to issue judgment. Like this is a good thing, right? Well, if we look at this word troubled, what we see actually, this is the only time this word, a specific word is used in scripture. So that really doesn't give us a whole lot of, of clues, but if you dive a little bit deeper, what you find is the root word that's used here for troubled, it's actually used several other times in the New Testament 
a few times even to speak of the emotion that Jesus felt. When I discovered that this week, I was like, okay, let, let, me, let me look into, into maybe what Jesus was feeling. And we see it used when he hears of his friend Lazarus dying. We read that Jesus was troubled. And we see it again at the Last Supper when Jesus is talking about uh, the one who would betray him. We see that Jesus, again, is troubled. So when you read that Mary is troubled, it doesn't necessarily mean she was fearful or anxious or even unsettled. I think what Luke is just trying to point us to is, hey, Mary understood the magnitude of this moment. Mary knew that, that God had been silent for over 400 years. And the fact that an angel was showing up in her house, that that was a really big deal. And not only that, right, he calls her favored one. And again, imagine Mary, the picture that I just painted of her, and she, she hears greetings, favored one. She's probably like looking around like if there's somebody else in the room, right? Like, not me, I'm just this teenage girl from this backwoods town. What do you mean favored one? I don't believe the angel was speaking to her present circumstances. He was speaking to a future promise. I want you to follow me on this one. This is where the Bible is so incredible. That's why it's so important that we understand the whole narrative of Scripture. Okay, because if you look at this word that Luke uses, or that the angel uses, that, that, that Luke you know, repeats here, calls Mary favored one. And this word for favor is the Greek word charis. Okay, it means like receiving this unmerited grace. It's the first time it's used in the New Testament. And if you look at the first time it's used in the Old Testament, you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Stick with me here. I promise this is important. In Genesis 6, verse 8, we read that Noah had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, you might remember that Noah, he built an ark. And that God used that ark to save humanity from the flood. Well, God's about to speak that same word over Mary and about to tell her that he was sending Jesus to save humanity from sin. Isn't that amazing? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just the only, the only Bible nerd in here. But these things are important to see how God is telling this story throughout all of Scripture. I'm not sure Mary thought it was so awesome, though. I really that she even knew what was going on because so far she's left speechless. Right? The next thing we read is that Gabriel has to repeat himself to her. He says, beginning in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now listen, I know we've all heard these words before. But just like I asked you to last week, I want to ask you, would you put yourself in the shoes of Mary for just a moment? Imagine that you're hearing these words for the very first time. Here you are, a teenage girl, realizing that there's an angel standing before you. Not only is there an angel there before you, but he's telling you that you're about to be pregnant. You are not yet like fully married. You have not been given the full rights of a married woman. It's kind of dropping a bomb on you, right? And in that moment, Mary, she's given a decision, right? She can choose to try to take control of things herself or she can choose to lose control, right? She can choose what so many of us do, right? Try to seize control, try to, try to grab hold of the situation or she can just let it go. Because think about it, right? Mary could have pushed back against God's plan. So some of us might've been like, you know what, God, like this isn't the right time. You know, my life's kind of full right now. I'm planning my dream wedding. Like, can you maybe come back six months from now? 
That's what some of us might have done, right? Or she could have just really kind of panicked, had a little bit of, a, of, an, of an internal panic attack, realizing, like, what are people going to think of me? Right? This is going to be a full-blown scandal. All 250 people in Nazareth are going to find out about this. Or she could have tried to, to plot and, and maybe control the narrative a little bit. Well, maybe we can have like a, like a shotgun wedding. Maybe we can, we can figure out how to shortcut the system so that people won't find out. But Mary, she doesn't plot. She doesn't panic. Right? She doesn't push back. Instead, she just asks a simple question. How can this be since I am a virgin, she says. I'm just amazed at the, like the, the peace in her heart just to ask that simple, understandable question. And Luke tells her how. I'm sorry, Gabriel tells her how. Luke tells us of that conversation. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord that it be to me according to your word. So what we see here is in practically no time, Mary goes from being greatly troubled to being remarkably obedient. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, how in the world did she do that? In the course of like 30 seconds, from greatly troubled to remarkably obedient. And I think the only answer, family, is that she chose in faith to surrender. That she chose to lose control. She saw that as being the best way or, or the only way that God could work out the impossible through her. So she chose to lose control. And here's the reality we need to wake up to this morning, family, is that we are no different than Mary. Sure, we may not be the mother of Jesus, but if we want God's will for our lives to come to pass, if we want to see him do the improbable and the impossible through us, then we too are going to have to lose control. And that kind of surrender, that, that kind of letting go, it can only happen in faith. See, family, faith is what enables us to surrender control. Faith is what enables us to surrender control because without faith, our desire is always going to be to try to, to grab hold of life for ourselves. And here's what normally happens, okay? Without faith, we will either overestimate our ability to control our own life or we will underestimate God's ability to do so. When we overestimate ourselves, what happens is we take on this mindset that, you know what, like, I can take care of this myself. I've got it all figured out. So when a challenge comes our way, what we end up doing is we end up treating, treating God like a consultant. I know we've all been there. We might let him weigh in with his opinion. We might, we might even open up our Bibles to see what he has to say about it, but really all we're doing is we're looking for confirmation for a decision that we've already made. And we overestimate ourselves and we get ourselves into a world of trouble. The other thing we'll do is we'll underestimate his ability to control our lives. We will doubt that he can do what he says he can do. And so we'll refuse to give up control. See, outside of faith, these are our only two options, to overestimate ourselves or to underestimate God. And let me tell you, both of those options end up in a complete mess. Let me show you what I mean. Right here, I've got a, a ball of yarn. Not just any ball of yarn. This is a, a chaotic and complicated, tangled ball of yarn. And what this ball represents is your life, okay? 
I know some of y'all are looking at this being like, yep, holiday season, that's pretty close to what my life has looked like. But let's say that each one of these threads represent a part of your life, a part of your life that, that, that you're not willing to give up. What happens if we start trying to untangle this ourselves? We pretty much just make a bigger mess, right? It's the same thing that happens when we try to, to take control of our own lives. I don't know about y'all, I end up just like sweaty and frustrated and some of these threads, they, they get torn into knots. It's the same thing that happens when we try to take control of our own lives. Meanwhile, the God of the universe, the one who created the, the beautiful mess that is you, he stands there ready and willing to untangle the threads of our lives. But you know what's gonna have to happen for him to do that, right? You're gonna have to lose control. You're gonna have to let go of your life to put it in the hands of the creator so that he can do what he has promised to do. This kind of surrender, this kind of letting go, it's not just a temporary thing and it's not a partial thing. You've gotta lose control completely and hand it over to Jesus. See, for most of us, that's just too hard. Right, if we're being honest with ourselves, like completely letting go, no, I need, to, I need to hold on at least a little bit. God, while you work, let me just hold on to this little bit of my life because we believe that we can do it or maybe we believe that, that he can't. But friend, aren't you tired of, of trying to control your own life? Having the privilege of being your pastor, I've, I have the privilege of walking with many of you and I, I, I see how challenging that is. When you've got this thing just by that death grip, man, God wants you just to, just to let it go, to lose control and hand it over to Jesus. And the good news that I can promise you is that you will discover what Mary did, that God responds to our surrender by revealing his faithfulness. God responds to our surrender by revealing his faithfulness. And, and I wanted to point this fact out because I think this often gets missed in the Christmas story. Right? There's typically a moment between our surrender and the fulfillment of God's promises. There's that, that moment between when we let go of something and when we start to see God tangibly at work. There's always some time spent in the waiting. And the truth is, if we look at, at scripture, we see this all over the place, but oftentimes we miss it in between the verses. But what you'll see every time, family, especially in Mary's story, is that God responds to our surrender by revealing his faithfulness, right? He responds with these holy moments, right? Where we get a glimpse of his faithfulness, this glimpse that gives us hope that he will fulfill his greater promises. Let me give you an example from Mary's life of what this looks like, okay? How about when Mary broke the news of her pregnancy to Joseph? Now this isn't in scripture, but we know from last week's account from Joseph, right? That, that she must have told him right, because he had, he had planned in his heart to, to quietly divorce her. So there must have been a moment where Mary came and she, she surrendered. She said, you know what, God, I, I'm gonna tell him, I'm gonna tell him what you told me and I'm just gonna see how he responds. And so she let go and then she waited. And how did God respond to her, faithful, her surrender? With his faithfulness, right? He sends the angel of the Lord to Joseph to confirm what she said was true. And imagine being Mary in that moment when Joseph comes to you and said, Mary, I believe you, right? The angel came to me too. God responds to our surrender by revealing his faithfulness. My guess is 
that holy moment, it gave Mary a whole lot of hope that God would fulfill his greater promise. And sure enough, right, nine months later, after a dramatic pregnancy, after a painful 90-mile journey to Bethlehem, God fulfilled his promise. Sure, the circumstances were far from convenient. They rarely ever are. But God never wavered on his word. He did the impossible. He sent Jesus as a baby. And as we're going to see here in just a moment, the surrender that led to Christmas would prove to be just the beginning.
You know, ever since that night, scholars have debated just how much Mary actually knew. And the truth is, we don't know how much she knew. But one thing we know is that God didn't just reveal his faithfulness to Mary, but he continually reminded her of it. And the reason why this is so important is because for Mary and for us, surrender is not just a temporary thing. Right? Surrender is a lifelong expectation for those who choose to center their lives on Jesus. That's why I love, and I'm not sure how often you've recognized this, but just how often the Gospels tell us that Mary reflects on God's faithfulness. Right? It starts there on that first night. When the shepherds come to, to see baby Jesus, Luke tells us that they may known what had been told them concerning the child. And it says that Mary, she treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. See, family, God knew that Mary would need moments like that. He knew the surrender he was going to call her to was great, and he continued to provide these holy moments, reminding her of his faithfulness. Like that moment at the temple with Simeon and Anna where they reminded Mary of who Jesus was and why he came. God knew that Mary would need that when, when they were forced to flee to Egypt or when they would have to come back home to Nazareth and, and come back into this, this scandal that was their lives. And in all those moments of waiting throughout Jesus' life, those moments of waiting that only a mother could truly understand, God, in his goodness, continued to remind her of his faithfulness. Because here's the thing, no matter what Mary knew, there's no way she could have grasped what was in store for her. There's no way she could have fathomed the full cost of her surrender, but God knew. And so God continually reminded her of his faithfulness. See, Mary's life was one that was marked with faith and obedience. And it proved to us in a powerful way this one important truth, family, that God can do more through your surrender than you can do through your control. God can do more through your surrender than you can do through your control. This is ultimately the greatest lesson we can learn in the waiting. It's the greatest lesson we can learn, but it goes against our flesh. It goes against our desires, our natural instincts. And so what I want to do with the few minutes we have left this morning is I want to try to help you make this spiritual practical. If you call Awaken Church your home, you know we're not just about giving like a rah-rah speech. We want to see you apply the scripture to your life. And so let's talk about what it looks like, what it means to truly surrender. The first thing I want you to see, family, is that surrender begins with honesty. Surrender begins with honesty. You know, one of my favorite examples of surrender actually comes from Mark chapter 9. And it's this story where Jesus' disciples, they're, they're trying to cast out uh, this unclean spirit from this boy. And the disciples, they're unable to do it. And this, this boy, he's, he's suffering because these spirits, they're causing himself to th like throw himself into the fire and, and to hurt himself. And so this father, his father is desperate for his son to be healed. And since the disciples can't do it, he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, hey Jesus, if you can do this, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And if you know this story, you know how Jesus responds, right? He's like, if you can? And he calls out this guy for the lack of his full surrender. But what I love is how the, the boy's father responds. He responds with honesty. He says, Jesus, I believe, but just not fully. Jesus, would you help my unbelief? This man was face to face with the son of God. 
And he could have put up a front. He could have done what a lot of us do, right? Could have tried to look religious. Of course I believe Jesus. But instead he responds with honesty. And you know what Jesus does? He honors his honesty, right? This is proof for us that honesty is the best place for us to start. Right? Surrender may be a daily action practiced over a lifetime, but it begins with embracing where we're at right now. It begins by you embracing the truth of where you find yourself right now. So family, where do you need to be honest with God today? What part of your life have you been hiding from? What part of your life have you been just clinging to? Surrender must begin with honesty. Can I encourage you? Whatever that, that, that thing is that you need to be honest with about God, would you just tell him? Do what this father did. Just, just be honest with him. You can pretty much guarantee that he will honor you for it. He's not going to shame you. That's not kind of God he is. In fact, you may even find that he will heal you from whatever it is that's ailing you. So start with honesty. Second, carry it out in action. Surrender must be carried out in action. Yes, surrender, it, it, it starts here. But it's more than just a heart posture, right? It's an action that must be lived out. So you might say that you want God to, to take control of your life, but what are you actually doing, literally, practically, to lose control? And listen, I've been in church long enough. I've prayed those churchy prayers like, Jesus, take the wheel. Meanwhile, you're white-knuckling that wheel as hard as you can. Family surrender has to be lived out in action. Losing control cannot happen without literally letting things go. And just so I'm clear, this isn't a call to passive avoidance. This is an opportunity to actively trust, and there's a big, big difference. Would you take this opportunity? Would you give God the chance to prove to you that he can do more through your surrender than you can do through your control? Maybe for you, that's, that's losing control of a broken relationship. Maybe you're here this morning and there's that, that friend or that, that family member and you have tried all you can to control that relationship, to fix that other person, to force an apology out of them. Whatever it is, maybe God's calling you to lose control this Christmas, to surrender to him by doing what Jesus did and serving the very person who hurt you. Family, God can do more through your surrender than you can do through your control. I think there are some of you here who might need to lose control of other people's perception of you. You're wearing yourself out playing the comparison game. Or you're, you're weighing yourself down by worrying about other people and their perceptions. And God wants to free you from that but it starts by you losing control and letting go. I promise you, he can do more through your surrender than you can do through your control. Because here's what will ultimately happen, family. When we hand over our lives, when we hand over this mess, God doesn't just untangle it. He gives us Jesus. When we hand over our lives to him, he gives us Jesus in return every time. When we learn to trust and abide in Jesus, it produces within us a joy that nothing in this world can compete with. So that's what's at the finish line of your surrender. 
In case you wanted to know what's at the, the other side of your waiting family, it is joy. It's the very reason why the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured the cross. It says it was for the joy that was set before him. It's why the Prince of Peace, he gave up his divine glory to come as a baby. Right? It's why the King of Kings chose to live a life of servanthood. Jesus did it all for the joy that was set before him. And now, family, that same joy, it is set before us. And the way you grab hold of it, it's by letting go, by losing control. So can I encourage you, family, to make this a Christmas like no other? I want to invite you. Would you lose control this Christmas? Would you surrender to the King of Kings? Would you embrace the true joy that can only be found in him?